the Beatles had this chant, John, Paul and George, and probably then Stuart and Pete had this chant when things weren't going well, which in their world wasn't very often because mostly it was an upward trajectory, but nonetheless, sometimes you know, they would have a bad night or the gig would, you know, didn't work properly or the amps broke or whatever. I say, where are we going, fellas? And they'd go, to the top, Johnny. And I'd say, where's that, fellas? And they say, to the topmost of the poppermost. And I'd say, right. And we'd all sort of cheer up. Hey, hey, hey. Hey. Where are we going, fellas? To the, to the top. top. What top? To the to very, very top. top. They had this chant, and John would say, where are we going, fellas? And the others, in an American accent, and the others would say, to the top, Johnny. Get the exact wording right. Um, where's that, fellas? To the toppermost of the poppermost, Johnny. <laughs> and that was their rallying call in when times were bad to kind of yes you know we're still here we're still together a lot of irony in it as well it was kind of done in a heavy american accent as a sender if you have joined our podcast group and are wondering what is this thing toppermost of the poppermost we are live well not live we're live on tape i'm ed chin i'm kid o'toole and i'm martin quibell you know us from our individual shows when they was fab pods like us and well kits everywhere uh, most <laughs> most notably on her bi-weekly solo beetle show talk more talk so we have decided Let's launch a new one. We've been looking for a way to work together, and here we are. And this is really exciting because I think we are going to find a new way to talk about the Beatles and their impact on popular music. Yep. We thought that the world needed another Beatles podcast, and we looked for a slight niche that nobody else has gone into. The magic of this idea, and we do think there's a little bit of magic in it, I don't know how much, uh, is that it puts it into context Mark Lewison is very good at that. He is described in several places, including the little audio clip that we've got at the end of our show here, about how important it was to him to go through and read every page of every music paper from the very beginning, which in general was the early 1950s. Yeah, and you really get a sense of how music, popular music, has evolved, you know, how tastes have changed, some good and some bad tastes, (laughs) (laughs) and how all different kind of music has been on the charts, all different genres. Yeah, you also see how, over a very short period of time, the Beatles and some of their contemporaries took music from different areas and merged those styles of music together, whereas before and there wasn't such a cross-pollination as there ended up being by the end of the 1960s. Absolutely. So we're going to talk a little bit about the charts now. In the States, there were three charts which dominated everything. Billboard was probably the most popular. Yeah, and, and of course still is today. Well, it's a survivor. Still controversial in some ways today as to how you know songs are ranked, but back in the, the 60s, that was uh, one of three. Well, and we see in the news, you know, first it was Drake, and then most recently it was Taylor Swift, the business of, oh, well, they quote-unquote beat the Beatles because they had more than the top five. Well, 
we also have to remember that they are operating under a very different set of circumstances and rules, as were the Beatles. Before 1962, there's no way they could have had the top five songs on the chart. So it was the new rules combined with the fact that they had so many records which were ready to go in America at just the right time that allowed that to happen on the charts. Exactly. Because, I mean, today, remember when you hear about Taylor Swift and Drake and so forth breaking the Beatles records, I mean, you're talking streaming. That kind of thing obviously did not exist back in the 60s, but that's a good point. You know, when the Beatles came out, they came out at kind of an opportune time when the sales uh, rankings were changing. Yep, the charts were a bit more restrictive back then than they are now, where because charts nowadays are based on downloads and streaming, any song that is released by an artist is applicable to be in the charts, whereas back then it had to be released as a single release to be in there, whereas nowadays, under the same circumstances, any song on an album would be a potential hit single. Well, that's not quite true, as we'll see as we go through the next six years. There were instances where whole Beatle albums and certainly EPs managed to creep their way onto the singles charts on the Billboard charts here in the States. Oh, wow. I didn't know about that. This brings up a very interesting point, because this is something we're going to be talking about throughout our podcast series, is that the British and American charts at times were very different. So this is going to be a fascinating aspect, I think, of our show. And so we mentioned the different American charts. Martin, you know, tell us a little bit about the British charts. Nowadays, there is a single, quote, official British chart, but that wasn't the case in the 1960s. No, back in the 1960s, I believe me and yourself were talking earlier, um, Ed, we were saying something about there being the one official chart and then there was an enemy chart, was there, and then there was the Melody Maker chart. Is that right? They went and integrated one of the charts into the old records for the, quote, official chart, unquote. Okay. It's all so complicated. (laughs) Exactly. It was the same here in the States, although it's the three that we remember, but every radio station in every city in the States that was playing teenagers' music was doing their own charts just about, and we must not forget that Love Me Do and Please Please Me actually just sort of bubbled under in Philadelphia and a couple of other cities at the lower end of the local Hot 100. When you look at individual charts, and I mean, we're obviously not going to be able to go into every uh, individual radio uh, station's charts on this show. But yeah, when you look at individual radio stations' charts, they can vary wildly from national billboard chart Beatles songs can really uh, as you said either kind of barely register or, or just sort of bubble under and may not rank as highly I mean they can vary tremendously because of course you get local acts in there and so that's a very good point local charts uh, can be also very interesting to look at we point this out because you know we're going to say such and such song reached such and such position on the charts on this week, well, which chart is it? And the most outstanding example is, you know, Please Please Me didn't 
actually hit number one on what is now considered the official British chart in 1963. No, because it was number one on what was released as, was it the Melody Maker chart, uh, Ed? Yeah, it, it, was, it was number one on a couple of the other charts, but it stalled out at number two on uh, what has now been incorporated into the actual official chart company. So this isn't confusing at all. So no, 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 no. But I mean, you know, it's, it's one of those things where we read these books and everyone says, oh, you know, George Martin came after they finished recording. Gentlemen, you've just got your first number one. And they did. Well. But which chart? Officially, no. Well, not exactly. So, yeah, I mean, we're obviously not going to be able to cover all the charts. So we are restricting it to certain ones. The other piece of this show, and we kind of mentioned it up front, we're going through and looking at what was in the top 40 or the top 100 and picking out songs and acts which were relevant to the Beatles. Yeah, I mean, these can be artists that either toured with them at one point or had an influence on them or, you know, maybe along the way, vice versa. Sometimes they can be kind of tenuous connections. It's just fascinating, the research we've done so far, the connections we have found, and how years later they and the Beatles have worked together or just had some kind of connection. Really excited to share our research with you all. Well, and I mean, you're starting out from where we're at. You look at Del Shannon, you look at Roy Orbison, both of which were heavily involved with George Harrison much, much later. Exactly. And of course, you've got Joe Brown and... And his brothers. And Shirley Bassey would do songs that were written for her by Beatles or covers of Beatles. And then you've got a lot of acts already, almost immediately, that are also produced by George Martin. As we get into 64, I don't know how we're going to fit everything in in one show, as you have not only all the Beatles songs that are at the top of the charts, you have all of the other British invasion acts, which were <laughs> related to them. You know, We're going to have 50 artists for one show, not just the uh, May of 64 show. Every week, it's like, oh, well, there's that, and there's that, and there's that, and there's that. And another thing we're, we're going to be looking at, and I... Ed, I hope I'm not jumping ahead here, but also looking at not only the, the artists in relation to the Beatles, but also in relation to how the music itself changed, particularly in relation to the Beatles. Because when you look at the charts from the time the Beatles first appeared, and then as time goes on, the music scene, I mean, the pop scene, was very different from when the Beatles first appeared with Love Me Do. The different genres that appear, and, and as you said, Martin, there was no real crossover of different genres. I mean, they all were kind of, you know, it was country, it was pop. There wasn't a lot of blending. But it was very different than it would be in just a couple of years. No rock, exactly, leaning toward pop, instrumentals, country, Really interesting stuff. One of the things I commented to you guys as we were looking through the U.S. charts for October of 1962 and, and late September, it's like, gee, there's a lot of stuff that nobody even remembers these days. And, and even the songs from popular artists like Elvis 
Not their greatest work. But it got to number one on the UK chart, if it's the song <laughs> I'm thinking of. It did indeed. It did. This show is sponsored by uh, a book from a, a good friend of ours, Bruce Ferber. He has written I Buried Paul, which he describes as a love letter to the power of music, a funny and moving exploration of the sacrifices people make in service to its magic. Not too bad a description for what we're trying to do on this show. It's a great stocking stuffer for the holidays, and if it's a virtual stocking you're stuffing, check out the Kindle special, now only four ninety nine. All right, there's our commercial for this week. <laughs> <laughs> so check out Bruce's book and look for his interview with us on When They Was Fab a couple of weeks back. So we'll be back soon. We're going to try and catch up with December of 1962 by the end of this year. Any last words on what we're doing and why we're doing it? Well, I think that our show is going to uh, lend some new insight or additional insight into the pop landscape that uh, the Beatles were entering and how the Beatles helped change it and how perhaps the landscape impacted them as well. So really looking forward to exploring this topic with you guys and with all of you listening. All right, our first official show will be soon, and it will cover October 1962. We're going to start at the beginning because, well, that's when Love Me Do first hits the charts. Look for us soon. My name's Casey Kasem, and I'm all set to count down the most popular songs in the USA. These are the records you're buying and radio stations are playing all over America. And how do I know? Because Billboard magazine says so. And the Beatles. They hold the record among groups for the most top ten hits in chart history. 33 of them. There was a piece in the NME, a news piece, that said that Top Rank Records, remember when Top Rank had a record label? Yeah, they introduced an LP series next week that will be called Toppermost. And it's coinciding with their current advertising slogan, Toppermost of the Poppermost. Yes, I thought, they got it from somewhere. They saw that. They must have seen that in either the NME or Record Mirror or Disc, Record and Show Mirror, as it was then. And they've taken it from there. They've obviously thought, how stupid that is. How stupid is it's one of those phrases that someone, an older person who doesn't understand teenagers, comes up with a slogan that they think is going to be the hip slogan of the month. Toppermost of the poppermost. 